We live in a culture that is often impatient and impulsive, moving at a microwave oven pace. Yet we're participating in a form of education that requires patience and fortitude and long-suffering and a lot of waiting, more like a crockpot. The modern world celebrates efficiency and tries to convince all of us that unless we can see immediate practical results from any endeavor, from our diets to our education, well, there isn't much value in all that effort. But could it be that the value is in as much the process as it is in the final results? Classical Christian education can be a slow process, carefully and intentionally worked out day over day. As parents and schools know, forming and shaping a young person can take every bit of the 18 years from K through 12 and well, well beyond that. Join us for this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to this episode of Basecamp Live. Davies Owens, your host here. Always good to have you joining us. I've had the privilege of getting out on the road more in the last few months. Just last week, I was at the Stonehaven School in Marietta, Georgia. So a quick shout out to Brett Edwards, head of school, and your amazing parents and teachers and students. So encouraging to be on campus with you and have a chance to speak to parents and just connect with what God's doing and this significant growth of classical Christian education around the country. And, you know, when I was at Stonehaven, just so appreciated getting to hear the stories of various parents who I met with about the impact of classical Christian education in their life and their family and across their school. I love stories. And so just a, it's always an invitation to reach out to me, info at basecamplive.com. I just would love to hear how classical Christian education has impacted your life and your family and your school and where you're at in terms of location and school. There is uh, just a real need, I think, to continue to praise God for the work that's happening through our schools and through our families. And I love hearing stories. So just shout out where are you listening from, what's on your mind, and any story of the impact of our education is encouraging and love to share those stories with others. I'm going to be out on the road a lot more in 2024. Keith McCurdy and I are going to be announcing soon more details of kind of this uh, partnership we've got and, and desire to continue to come alongside parents and schools around the country and around the world. So uh, be listening out for that. And you can learn more about what we're going to be doing on the Basecamp Live webpage. I also want to say thank you to all of you who took some time, well over 100 folks who gave helpful feedback on the Basecamp Live survey that we talked about the last uh, couple of months. We finished that survey up. We are so grateful for all the information. It's really helpful as we think about this launch of Basecamp Live 2.0 next year. And I want to announce a drum roll. So I don't have the sound effect of a drum roll. I should find one because I want to announce our winner of the $100 hands-on gift card. Thank you for taking the time to dig in and fill out the survey. And here's the official winner, Rebecca Johnson from Salina, Kansas. Rebecca, thank you for participating and for being the recipient of this gift card. We'll be reaching out to you with more details on how you can get that. As always, thanks for all of your time and attention and feedback info at Basecamp Live. I'd love to hear from you. And a special thanks on this episode to our friends at Classical Academic Press, CLT, the Classic Learning Test, the Focus Group, and America's Christian Credit Union. My guest today, Elliot Grasco, is the vice president and tutor at Gutenberg College. He grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and he joined the faculty of Gutenberg back in 2012, where he teaches courses on art, music, and aesthetics. And while this is not a podcast about his musical skills, he is an amazingly accomplished Irish musician. Um, 
Irish music in particular. He's been said that scholars, critics, and performers have described him as one of the finest um, pipers in the history of Irish music in America. So if that is of interest to you, I highly encourage you to look at more of what he's doing at elliotgrasso.com. He's been part of the National Endowment for the Arts Awards. He's performed at the John F. Kennedy Center for Performing Arts. And he has a real love, obviously, of of, um, of helping others come to discover the importance of music. And so it's a big part of what he does. But he's also an amazing thinker and tutor and educator there at Gutenberg. And he lives uh, near the school there in Oregon with his three children. And you, again, get a fuller picture of his intellectual and artistic endeavors at elliotgrasso.com. But without a further delay, let me jump into this interview and conversation with Elliot, helping us think about how do we really redeem the time, the process that is such a part of our classical Christian education. Well, Dr. Elliot Grasso, welcome to Basecamp Live. It's good to have you with us. Thanks for having me, David. It's a pleasure to be here. You are, first of all, I just got to brag on what I know of you in your music uh, journey and music career. You are a very accomplished Irish musician. I've always enjoyed Irish music. People are like, I didn't know that about him, uh, but more people should. Talk a little bit about your just your journey and how music's been a part of it. Sure. I grew up in Baltimore in an Irish music community of uh, instrumentalists. And um, my dad and I used to go out to play at Irish sessions from 9 p.m. to 1 in the morning on, on school nights. And so uh, if you popped in a smoky bar in Baltimore uh, midweek, you would see little Elliot there playing Illin pipes or a tin whistle or a flute or, or something like that. And uh, it was just a really rich and supportive community. And so when I was about 12 years old, my parents started taking me over to Ireland to study with some of the greatest living masters in this tradition. And it had a, had a huge impact on me because they were, on the one hand, um, technically, artistically, very refined, very accomplished. But on the other hand, they were extremely accessible as human beings and uh, wow. very generous. And you've had some pretty big audience. Just mention a few of the environments that you've played at. I mean, it's pretty spectacular. Yeah, I've had opportunity to play at the Library of Congress. I've played for the National Endowment now for the Arts Awards, um, Constitution Hall. Uh, I've played for the President of Ireland. I've played for the President, uh, President Clinton and First Lady Hillary Clinton uh, years ago. I was very fortunate to have some of those opportunities. Yeah. So those, you know, that that's a unique, what an amazing upbringing, an amazing father to have given those experiences to you. And we could talk the whole podcast about Irish music, but we're here to talk about education and the the world you're in right now as uh, vice president there at Gutenberg College. And so, what what kind of shifted you, or maybe you've never shifted? You've stayed in both worlds, but why is uh, your work at Gutenberg so important? And what are some of the things that are really uh, driving your your thought and time right now? Yeah, well, uh, well I'm vice president. Uh, at core, um, I'm a teacher. I want to help human beings understand who they are and what their relationship to this world is and what their relationship to other human beings is like. And um, part of that is dealing with big questions that are difficult, whether it's music, you know, how do I, how do I find the meaning in this music that I'm playing? Or how do I prepare and equip myself to deal with a uh, complex world and uh, complex humans? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, there's a lot of really for the, the lot we could talk about, but kind of the topic at hand is just around the way that you guys educated the college and certainly those the listening parents and educators in, t- in K-12 classical Christian education. Uh, we're increasingly, we say all the time on the podcast, we're increasingly becoming more and more countercultural compared to just the, the general tone and tempo of the world outside our doors. But the form of education itself, I think, uh, 
can often be perceived as inefficient. And I want to, I really want to unpack that. Um, we, we kind of live as good Americans. We worship speed and volume. Um, we kind of worship at the altar of utilitarianism and along comes an education where we're supposed to have long form discussions and we don't have scantrons. And we seem to be odd in that way. Um, talk a little bit about why you love inefficient education. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I, I love inefficient education because it's well suited to human beings who are fundamentally inefficient. So I, mean, <laughs> I know I am. Yeah. Aren't so, we I mean, all? I, yep. it, yeah. Well, I mean, I think if, um, you know, if we, if we think about what a human being is from a biblical worldview and what it is that human beings are being asked to do, I mean, we're being asked to love our neighbor and, and to love our God. Um, and it seems to me that loving another human being is desperately inefficient. It takes a lot of time and attention and study of another person and how, what they're like. And so it's kind of like, if we think about me, uh, ends before means, we're sort of missing out on the process of what it means to be a human being and what it is that exactly that we're supposed to be doing here during our lives. So as you look at sort of the broader current swirling around again, the work, I mean, broadly, I mean, you're certainly looking at it from more of a, um, a college standpoint, but as you look even through the across the K twelve, I mean, where is this push for efficiency coming from? What does it really look like in the educational space today? Yeah, well, I think it's primarily pushed by economics. I mean, people believe that their effort is there's a direct correlation between their effort and their income, which uh, we would like to believe is the case, but I'm not. I'm not so convinced because I can think of people who are. Um, smarter and busier than me who make a lot less money. And I can imagine people who are uh, lazier and dumber than me who make a lot more. So it's not as if there's this immediate correlation that we would like to believe. So the belief, the growing cultural belief is that, well, if I really, if I really puff it and do it faster and better and more efficient than everybody else, then I'm going to have more. Um, that more time, more effort and faster translates into more stuff. Uh, and comfort and social status and privilege and things like that for myself. Now, that's a very uncomfortable thing to ask ourselves about. Is that really what I want if I'm obsessed with efficiency? And I think there's there's tension in there within people because, I mean, especially Christians, uh, we want to do the good thing for our neighbor, right? We want to love our neighbor. We want to sacrifice appropriately for good reasons. Um, but the problem, the tension is that, well, if I'm rushing to the head of the line, how well am I serving the people at the back of the line, the ones who really need the service? So the tension is between wanting to be a winner, which is the efficiency, and wanting to be a servant, which is desperately inefficient. And I think that's a tension that many of us face um, in education and why we're going about it and what we're hoping to achieve. Yeah, well, and we'll get into some of the, you know, compare and contrasting what is a day in, at, you know, in, a, in a school like most of our schools look like in your college. I mean, we're we understand we are forming humans and it, it is a slower process, but we live in a world, especially for, you know, younger parents who are listening that are probably questioning is it, was this classical Christian school, the right decision? Because the, the college prep school down the street, my goodness, they have endless resources and they have promises for grandiose college entry and they do STEM program. And so, I mean, what, what's the caution with all that? Cause it seems like, again, we live in a world where, you know, gosh, you have the iPhone 12. Well, the 15 just came out. That is way more efficient than your old phone. So you need to go. I mean, we do this with everything. I mean, we, you know, slow cooked food is hard to do. We want to go to microwaves. And so we show up at schools and all of a sudden the school's trying to convince us, you know, to seemingly go 
the opposite direction of, of the flow of the modern world. I mean, I, I think that is exactly what's going on. Say more about all of that. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems to me that um, what it is that transforms human beings is practice. I mean, so I'm a musician. I've done a lot of practicing. There, there are probably some parents listening who've got uh, kids who are doing music lessons. And I mean, at first, it sounds terrible, right? I mean, it's much more efficient to put on a CD or put on Spotify than to learn to play a musical instrument. But it turns out that learning to play a musical instrument, um, it transforms you, not just abstractly and, you know, highfalutin philosophical terms, but it changes your, your body. It changes your brain. It changes your neural connectivity. It changes your musculature in a way that you have better command as a result of repeated discipline through practice. Practice is repetition that changes you. That's what practice is. And so the question is, what kind of practice are we engaged in? with education? Are we actually getting to the root of the thing we need to practice or are we not? And it seems to me that classical education, though superficially and probably core inefficient, um, that is far more significant to do because the sorts of things that we need to practice, communicating, listening, loving other human beings, that is the most important thing for us to be practicing. And those are efficient things. It doesn't mean that we can't be good stewards of the resources that we have or good stewards of our time. These are very important things. Right. But it seems to me that to focus on really what is the ultimate goal of the human life, that has to be put before we start practicing stuff. Otherwise, what are we practicing for? Well, I think, that, again, this is such a, it's so basic, but at the same time, it's so profound and it is increasingly really the premier question that needs to be asked. I mean, it is like, what is the purpose of school? Why are we here? What do we hope to see in the end? I, I, I know you said good teaching is all about getting good results and proving them by measurement, uh, right or wrong. I mean, you, are you, I should say you pose that question. And I think that's really the question, you know, is good teaching really just about results and, and measuring them? I mean, that does seem to be what modern education is. And yet we are doing something very different. So I, I just, I think from the onset here is what is the, what are the wrong questions we're asking, perhaps, as we come to schools and as we approach the outcome we expect of education? Well, sure. I mean, well, I guess it depends on how one sees education. If education is about a bunch of temporary problems to solve and buttons to push, then that's going to yield one sort of practice. Um, if we see problems as sort of how am I going to relate to myself and how am I going to serve my neighbor, how am I going to understand the complexity of the human condition, um, that seems to me to be fundamental. I mean, you guys probably remember this line from Jurassic Park where Jeff Goldblum comes out and he's sort of like, you know, you guys are so concerned with whether you could, you didn't stop to think if you should. Mm -hmm. And often it's easy to get swept away. I mean, by the propaganda of our culture that says go faster, go better. Um, you are your last performance, these sorts of things. And my question is, is this the message of Christianity? Is this the question of the Bible? Is this the answer yeah. is no, it's not. I, yeah. I think it's not. I think no, it, it, absolutely. And I think that's, so if that is the answer, then how does that inform our decision around our education? Because I, I think a lot of our schools are often uh, caught in a sort of a defensive mode, having to explain to a parent, well, why is it that we're lingering so long in these great books and why are we not doing more 
practical types of training and coding and these things that seem to be an efficient education. And, and it's hard to understand it because it doesn't, it feels increasingly odd with the way the world works, which it is does. a concern, you know, unless you understand it and you realize, okay, this is, this is significant and, and important. So why don't we take a quick break? Um, I, I want to come back and, and unpack some of this, uh, in terms of the way this works out in the classroom and what you guys are doing there, what we do in K-12 in terms of that sort of that long, slow, as you described it, you know, as a, as a, as a musician taking the time to practice and arduously work through those perfections of, of each step in order to create something beautiful as opposed to just throwing in the, you know, turning on Spotify. So big, big difference what we're doing. We'll be right back and continue our conversation. Okay, I want to mention an organization that I'm really excited to be partnering with. You know, most of us engage with businesses every day that provide excellent services, but are all too often actually funding initiatives and ideologies that are out of alignment with what we deeply value as families and churches and schools. And that's why Basecamp Live is proud to partner and do our banking with America's Christian Credit Union, a banking institution that only serves and invests in kingdom causes. So whether you're managing a school, a home, a small business, ACCU can meet your banking needs while upholding your biblical values. Find out why tens of thousands of families and ministries across the country have chosen to bank with ACCU by visiting americaschristiancu.com slash Basecamp. Elliot, we're talking about the importance of an inefficient education. I just love saying that. I just feel like I'm being very countercultural. Um, and the truth is most of our K-12 families, myself included, even as I had a school when my daughter was first born and kind of hit those middle school years, there was a moment my wife and I thought, you know, we were at the time we were in Atlanta, Georgia. There were probably 70, 80 college prep schools. They had all the bells and whistles. They had all the entry points into college. And here we are doing something that felt very, um, well, uh, countercultural and, and, and inefficient. And I thought, am I doing a disservice to my child? I think a lot of parents maybe sense this is a great Mayberry type education for K6, but as you move into that seventh through 12th grade, isn't it time to kind of start doing some of those quote real world things and all of these great books discussions and these, um, you know, more uh, old ways really are, are inefficient. So, do you see that kind of you know in in your in your you know, again from the college standpoint, but just the pressure that the culture is putting on us in general, specifically as parents? What are some of those pressure points you're seeing? Yeah, um, some of the pressure points I'm seeing are, I mean. Again, it's so much of it seems to be economic, um, and so much seems to revolve on the question of what counts as a valid experience. So we are we're a pro, we're a society that is totally saturated with belief in progress, which makes studying old bygone stuff seem terribly wasteful in terms of our time. I mean, are, it hasn't everything improved? Aren't we better human beings as a society? more this or more that. And um, my question to that would be, well, you know, what do you think is, what do you think are the main problems that we face as a culture? What, or do we not have enough stuff? Is that the main problem? Um, or are they more fundamental? Are they relational sorts of problems? So, I mean, part of a great book's education, to my mind, uh, takes the questions of what are the problems with the human condition in human society very, very seriously and offers a really measured and deep 
thoughtful analysis of what sorts of problems those are given by people who frankly have thought about it really, really well and thought about it for a long, long time. So, I mean, yeah. Um, is Marcus Aurelius going to teach you how to fix your internet connection or code your website? Um, no, he's not going to teach you about that. What he's going to teach you about is discipline and patience. He's going to teach you how to think about what's motivating you and why you're frustrated at your internet connection to begin with. He's going to ask you, why is it you feel like you have to go so fast? And so being confronted with kind of what I'm going to call first tier questions and issues, they're really easy to miss if you're skating on the surface of the ornaments of a civilization. I heard you say uh, in another talk about just how often our culture embraces propaganda because it, it's a, it has a calming effect. It sort of offers a simple solution to a problem that's probably not even real. And, and the ability to calmly, to describe in Marcus Aurelius, really dissect what is the problem behind the problem is not easy for modern people. And it only comes through that training of the mind through a more, uh, uh, you know, complicated and, and drawn out process. Um, I'd, I'd yeah. love to hear you talk about that and, 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 and maybe give an example of, you know, can you think of, I'm sure there are endless examples of being in that classroom with students and that, that slowing down and the discoveries that are made and why those are so lasting. Sure. Sure. Um, well, I mean, I guess, I guess I would start with an example of, of a student, um, just the other day, Eric Gutenberg and his question in a discussion was, you know, one of the, one of the things that I've been wondering about and Gutenberg students come from all backgrounds. They have all kinds of questions, uh, real honest questions, their college age, you know, they're, they're approaching these questions on their own for the first time, often because they've been helped K through 12 in thinking about them and putting them on the table. This student asked me, one of the things I've been wondering is, is God real or is God just an artifact of human nature? Do we just create gods out of ourselves because we need something to worship or is God actually there? Now, the efficient answer is, I'm sorry, we have a test and that's not on it. We don't have time to talk about that right now or probably ever. Um, and the question is, does that answer matter? Does it matter? whether there's a God. And if there is one, how do we live our lives in light of that? Now, see, that's, that's a first-tier question. The, an the way you answer that question is going to govern all of your major decisions going forward. They're going to govern who you spend your time with, if you get married, who you marry and why, how you spend whatever money you earn. That's a first-tier kind of question. And so to presume that there's a quick and easy answer to something like that, I think is a great error because in K through 12, I mean, the beauty of the education is that it's priming students to realize that these are the questions that need to be addressed, not just by K through 12 classical Christian students, but by every human being. Every human being lives their life as a response to, is there or is there not a God? And how you answer that question governs your decisions. And so by the time they get to the college level, they're finally in a spot where they're out of the house. They have to decide, how am I going to live? And if they've had the experience of caring, thoughtful, loving adults, attending to their questions seriously and presenting them with first-tier questions, then they're in such a great spot to actually think deeply and take it on. And once they have decided about those sorts of things, 
great. Now I know what's real and how I know stuff and what I believe and why. Guess what? Now I'm prepared to be a good employee. I'm prepared to help part of a team. I'm prepared to serve humanity. I'm prepared to analyze complex problems without oversimplifying them or fragmenting them. Now, the problem is that all the second tier issues are rushing us past those first tier questions. All these, uh, all the, all the propaganda is saying we're exhausted by propaganda, friends. I mean, we get it from every angle, marketing, politics. We're exhausted. If you've ever wondered about the minimalist approach in decorating these days, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if it were a response to too much saturation. We are exhausted. And the problem with being exhausted in this way is we have very little patience for hard and complicated things. I'm a father of three. I've been propagandized too. I get it. Well, no, absolutely. I think we all, we're all, and there's, the, again, to me, the irony and maybe even the tragedy of this is that we, because we're fatigued, because we're over marketed to, I don't know, whatever the latest number, 60,000 brand, brand impressions a day. I mean, we're just, we're getting it from everywhere and we just want to go find the nearest rock and crawl under it and be quiet. And then all of a sudden classical Christian comes along and says, Hey, guess what? We're going to take your kids and we're going to have them read these old dusty books with words that are pretty complicated, even though you, the parent probably never experienced this. And when you did, it was utterly boring and tedious to you, but we think this is best for your child and they're going to memorize things. And you're thinking, wait a minute, chat GPT just came out. Any of these things you're trying to get them to read, they can pull up instantaneously. What in the world are you doing over there school? You're exhausting me and you're exhausting my kids. I think that's what's honestly being felt by a lot of parents today. And yet you're rightfully proposing, actually, you got all upside down, folks. It's that slow, slow process, which is the antidote. And you're learning patience and fortitude and long suffering. And, and even though it's a lot of waiting, you'll be better in the end. I mean, so again, it's, it, we're, we're just so in the face of the culture and what we're doing. I mean, the, another question we could ask is, what do you do when you have a problem that money can't solve? Do you have tools and resources and skills and things and people you can rely on and wisdom to draw upon when you have a problem that money can't solve? I mean, these are the bigger problems that we experience. So, I mean, I totally get being exhausted. I totally get being saturated. I'm, I'm tired of seeing and repeating the same kinds of patterns when it comes to propaganda and interacting with it and things of that sort. But it's like, man, right. parenting is inefficient to begin with. So it's, it's challenging. <laughs> it's challenging. Well, let's take another break. Yeah, it, it is challenging. So let's take a break and come back. I want to touch on this idea again, that there is, an, there is struggle, there is difficulty in doing anything with excellence. Again, we talked earlier about your work musically. I mean, I think we know that intuitively, you know, pr quote, practice makes perfect. Even if we don't even want perfect, we know we got to practice. And so educating well takes time. It takes diving deep. It's, again, not efficient. But this is the, the path to ultimately success that I think we want as parents and as educators. So why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back and talk a little bit more about enduring through some of the difficulty that's a real part of this form of education. We'll be right back. What if your students could find a college where education is rooted deep in the soil of faith? What if your students could be guided to deeper learning by teachers who weren't just smart, but wise? What if the higher education journey pushed your students to excellence and joy, even amid extraordinary effort? 
That's what happens every day at Samford University. For 182 years, Samford has equipped our students with the knowledge, skills, relationships, and experiences they need to tackle society's greatest challenges. See the Samford difference. Visit samford.edu realize. That's samford.edu realize. Samford, for God, for learning, forever. El, as we think about the conversation we've been having around you know, living in a world where we kind of inadvertently find ourselves worshiping speed and volume and efficiency, and here we are educating our children um, in a world that that actually takes pride in being kind of old in a kind of the, it's there's slow food versus fast food. This is the slow education versus fast education world, and with that, no doubt comes some struggle and difficulty. It's not an easy education. Um, talk about that. How do you, in particular, how do you encourage students to come in and, and discover? Wait, I. Th- I just got through writing a 30-page thesis in high school, and you guys want me to write a 50-page? You know, it's got to be tough at times, um, and that's not the sentiment of the world around us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I think the thing that I would say to parents is, I mean, first of all, if you're listening to this, um, if you're pursuing classical education or thinking about classical education or thinking about education at all, you love your son or daughter. You love them um, and loving and parenting. These are difficult and challenging things. It's hard work. It's tiring work. And the question that every parent has is what is going to be best for my child? What is going to help them thrive and become a fully functional, caring, independent adult? And part of that is leaning into doing hard things. If you've ever changed a diaper at two in the morning, um, you know what hard is. And so, I mean, I think the question is not, you know, what's the easy or the hard education or the easy or hard time for me. Um, it's a question between things being hard or hard and good. And so we're, we're primed to run from the difficult situation and I'm, I'm human. I'm no different, but if we can stop for a minute and just think, okay, my options aren't hard or easy. My options are hard and hard and good. I would encourage you to think about leaning in into the hard thing because I mean, when students show up at Gutenberg, you know, they've never studied ancient Greek before and they're not always sure why they should be studying it. But I can tell you that after a period of time of dealing with it, of, of the discipline and the thinking and the repetition of it, um, their language skills get better in English. Their communication gets better in English. They perceive and understand better what people are writing and saying to them. And these are valuable. These are, these are transferable, valuable skills that all of us need for our lives. So I would just say, you know, hang in there. You, you got what it takes. It's going to be, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be bumpy, but this is the nature of, of parenting and it's, it's okay. It's okay that it's hard. And that's a great way to say it. I love the hard versus hard and good that there is in fact, you know, a method to the madness, if you will, because there, and there are certainly some well-intending classical Christian schools that just layer on the work because there's this idea that, you know, more is better. And, um, you know, it's just, it's like, if you can lift 20 pounds, lift 50 and just keep going, keep going. And, and that's where that sort of, you hear sort of, bantered about the joke about, you know, we're into rigor, but not rigor mortis. I mean, there's a point where you're not advocating just being hard for the sake of being hard. You're, you're doing no. something 
with a very intentional outcome and a balanced level of hard, I guess, if we can say it that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, humanity is tricky. We're, we're all limited. The teachers are limited. The parents are limited. And I would say, you know, if you're, if you're working to put your child in the company and counsel of a loving, thoughtful instructor who cares about them, that is everything. That is huge. Uh, you can't pay people to care, as it turns out. And so what you're finding in so many K through 12 classical Christian schools is, I mean, teachers create the environment for your child 40 hours a week. So, I mean, just being with people who care about good things and care about their long-term sustainability, uh, that's a huge deal. That is a huge deal and hugely beneficial, easy to miss. It's easy to miss. Well, just in the final moments, uh, Ellie, talk about a little bit. We've talked about Gutenberg, and, and folks may know some bit about the college. You guys are really unique. You're in, in many regards. You're from a size standpoint. You're wonderfully smaller, so you're more intimate, and people know each other. And I love the fact that there's some DNA that goes back to Shaper's Labrie Fellowship, which people have heard me talk about many times on the show, as, as being this incredible environment where you can work and study and do life together. So. Talk about your work there and the opportunities because it's really unique and special. Sure. Uh, Gutenberg College is going to be celebrating its 30 year, 30th year in 2024. We are a small Christian great books college here in the Pacific Northwest in Eugene, Oregon. Students enter as a cohort of 10 to 15 students and discuss the great books in small groups. And so it's primarily discussion-based. It's Labrie in the sense that Every question deserves honest and careful attention from students. All students are dignified, humanized, cared about. We all, we all know each other. And so um, we all learn together in a community that's focused on these big questions. Now, the, the difference between a college student and a K-12 student is that if you're at Gutenberg College, chances are you've selected it for yourself. And so you are taking on the project on your own to think about what does it mean to be human and who is God and what is my relationship to him and what is justice? And why is mercy better than justice sometimes? And these sorts of questions. So students enter as a cohort. Um, they do all the same classes together in the same order under the tutelage of Christian mentors. I'm privileged to be one of them. And when they finish, they have a Bachelor of Arts in Liberal Arts. There's only one degree. There aren't majors and minors and electives and things like that. And students, um, I've, I've seen so many students totally transformed by this experience. That they listen well. They communicate well. They know how to disagree respectfully. Um, they know how to write. Uh, they're in they're in high demand. We had a graduate who um, actually graduated from Gutenberg several years ago. She started, she started building cell towers. And now she consults internationally for international cellular programs. She rose through the wow. ranks very quickly because she, like many of your K through 12 students, are becoming generalists. The generalist is the person who can get all the specialists in the room who don't know how to talk to each other because they're all speaking different languages and create coherence and unity out of a whole project such that actually it can actually be implemented um, for the service of other people. Well, that's, and, uh, yeah, that's exactly, I talk often on the show about just the need for adaptability, the, the eight, you know, whatever the latest numbers are, most people shift jobs 12 to 15 times over the course of their lives. So if you're a generalist, you're actually way more equipped than the 
hyper specialist, which you know the college major claims it's going to give you. So, um, any rate, I, I think you guys are doing a really, really important work, and I'm grateful that you've helped us just reframe and rethink a little bit about uh, maybe some places we've become guilty of buying into that the efficiency argument, and yet seeing the beauty and the vision of ultimately where our students will go when they are patient through this uh, remarkable improving educational model. So thank you for that. Uh, best place to go, I guess, is the Gutenberg website to learn more about the college. Yes, it's, it's gutenberg.edu. That's G-U-T-E-N-B-E-R-G dot E-D-U. Got it. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much. Look forward to having you back and continuing more of these great conversations. Thanks so much, David. It's been a pleasure. Hey there, Basecamp Live listeners. This is Davy's daughter, Hannah, here. And I want to congratulate this amazing podcast on almost five years of incredible content, enriching interviews, and over 200 episodes. So that has brought so much encouragement to people. And thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for supporting this message, this mission. And there are a couple ways that you can help in sharing that message. First of all, please leave a five-star review on whatever app you are using to listen to this podcast. You can also share it with a friend. That's a great way to get the message out about Basecamp Live. And of course, share your story with us at info at basecamplive.com. There we'll also answer all your questions and more. And any topics that you'd like to hear too, please send them there to info at basecamplive.com. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks.